Welcome to The Socioscope, The Misunderstood, The Unexpected, and The Overlooked, a podcast where hidden layers of our society are brought into focus. Join your host, Dr. J. Bruce Stewart, each week as he delves into the complexities of human behavior, culture, and the social dynamics shaping our world. Featuring experts, thought leaders, and voices from various walks of life, Dr. Stewart challenges perceptions, sparks curiosity, and offers new perspectives on our ever-evolving social landscape. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, My name is Dr. J. Bruce Stewart, and this is the Social Scope, uh, Understanding the Misunderstood, unexpected and overlooked podcast and i'm going to be your host today and i am so uh happy to have one of my uh longtime uh uh, mentors i would consider and trusted colleagues he's kind of the person that got me involved in really understanding the ins and outs of the science of inclusion i want to uh welcome dr juliet bork to the uh to the uh, podcast and uh, so today we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. You know, me and Julia can chat for for hours on a time, and we're just going to give you all kind of a, a a look inside of our conversations that we have. But we're going to kind of center around uh, Jane Elliott's a class divided. And I think most of you out there are familiar with Jane's work. And so what Juliet and I are going to talk about today is how can we apply, especially in this day and age, some of the lessons learned, good and bad, of Jane's approach with the class divided in her third grade school class that she that she did the exercise with in Riceville, Iowa. Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Jane Elliott, she was an American school teacher and conducted an exercise in 1968. And what she did is that she divided her class based on eye color, brown or blue, and treated one group as superior, the other as inferior. This was a, this was to simulate the effects of racism and teach our students about discrimination and give the folks a little bit of your background. It is so interesting, just kind of how you got started. You know, you you, you worked a long time for, for uh, Deloitte, uh, Australia, where you did some fabulous work, and that's kind of how we met. Could you just give people kind of a cliff note version of of uh, of yourself and 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 where 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 is that accent from? Where is that what is the accent? What's the accent, accent from? <laughs> from Australia. Uh, So actually, I was born in England, but I came to Australia as a child. My father is English and my mother is Australian. Um, And professionally, um, I started my life as a lawyer. First of all, I was a a DA, a a criminal prosecutor. And then I became a human rights lawyer, a discrimination lawyer. And then I started moving into the world of organisational change and trying to understand the structures and the behaviours within organisations, which led me into a a business that I owned and ran for 12 years. And then I went into Deloitte as a partner, human capital partner. And now I'm a professor of practice at the University of New South Wales Business School. And I still consult to um, organisations, leadership groups around the world. Wow, impressive. And some of the stuff... uh... I didn't even know, you know, in, in America here, we, we we call people who, who uh, were in the law profession uh, uh, recovering uh, lawyers. So, so it's, uh, it's interesting, uh, uh, very, uh, very wide, diverse uh, career. And just like I said to uh, 
early on. And just so the audience knows that uh, <clears throat> that's kind of how we met when we were at Deloitte Australia. And, and um, I had read an article that uh, Juliet had written around inclusion called uh, Waiter, Is That Inclusion in My Suit? And I said, you know, such an interesting article or title. I had to read the article and it just blew, blew me away because at that time, you know, I was the deputy director for diversity and inclusion at uh, the Office of Personnel Management, which for those of you that aren't familiar with the American government, uh, uh, OPM is kind of like the human resources arm of the American government. And, uh, and so we were looking at research for inclusion. A lot of it was underwhelming until we got to Juliet's research and we kind of shaped our whole approach based on that. So in, always e e eternal gratitude for your leadership on that. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, Jane Elliott and, and uh, I don't know uh, when you first uh, came across Jane and you saw a class divided, uh, Juliet, but, but um, what are some of your impressions of that video clip and, and how does it, uh, you know, I always feel like, you know, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned and even for today, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I, I came across it a long time ago. I think it was very powerful in opening people's eyes, literally, up to how quickly you can simulate racism and how much you can stimulate it within, in this case, children's reactions. Um, and to watch those children accept that they were suddenly in a position of privilege and power and then to play that out onto other children, that was one thing. The second thing I think that was very important was the effect that it had on their own individual performance as school children. Mm. So when she was getting them to do tests afterwards, those children who were now being oppressed were actually performing in a, in a much worse way on little tests that she had given them in class. So I think it was very powerful to watch that and, and to have it um, videoed as well. And it, I think it helped people to see that immersive experiences can really help us understand the experience of another person. And it made us move, I think, in the direction of how can we have immersive experiences as adults so we try to understand difference rather than just reacting to it and going along the lines that we had always done because that's just what we knew. It brings us up short and asks us to reimagine life as someone different. When you look at what's going on in the world, you know, when, when I look at kind of the stuff that's going on, I, you know, it seems like to me 90% of it has has its roots in kind of the inability for folks to create uh, intergroup cooperation to to be able to bridge differences. What what what's your take on what's going on in the world today? What what do you see as the uh, uh, you know maybe a, a common pattern of of yeah. all the, the the ways that we see conflict coming up, especially with regard to the Israeli Palestinian conflict that's going on there. Oh, there are many conflicts. And, and I think 
what we have seen across many societies is this polarization of people moving further and further into separate camps, if I can use that word, and not really having the opportunity to come together, not really think about their shared humanity. And it's it's kind of interesting in a way because that's exactly what happened during World War II. And then the United Nations was um, designed to bring people together to, because we never wanted to have, have that happen conflict happening again mm -hmm. but that's exactly what's happened and I think now I think it's even worse because social media is feeding us algorithms to keep us in our own echo chambers so the opportunity to really engage with someone and find that shared humanity find our points of commonality is being eroded and that is playing itself out in these crazy stereotypes that we have about each group and this anger that people have towards each other, the inability to listen to someone else's different point of view. I wonder as well if there's also another effect of social media, and that is that everything is in a soundbite. It would be curious, actually, to think with your listeners here, you know, are they still listening, you know, or, or tuning out? Because it's very hard for us now to listen to anything that takes more than eight seconds to say. And so that, you know, once again reinforces the, the desire for stereotypes and heuristics about other people rather than actually sitting with complexity and ambiguity mm -hmm. and difference and finding your way through. Yeah, you get, uh, it, if I hear what you're saying, it's almost like, we live in a soundbite culture now. Exactly. Where, where everything is, how effective is your soundbite? Because, you know, everything now, it's about clicks and eyeballs and, and those type of things. And I can't remember the book or uh, um, the researchers who have been working on this, but, but there was a group of researchers, I think, that published a couple of papers and a couple of books that have come out around this whole theory of attention like mm. like like attention is the fuel for the 21st century like that's the goal right if you can get people's attention then that's how you earn money that's how you make profits and so the clicks and all the other things that go on are all about being able to get attention and and harness that attention and the criticisms around TikTok and you know screen time for the kids it's all about how do you get how do you compete on attention? I think that's right. That's So I wonder today if Jane Elliott had um, done her little video, there's, you know, sort of goes on for, well, there's a story you can Google, it goes for about an hour. Would people stay and watch the whole thing? You know, would that have been so effective? I don't know. But, but to go back to the exam question around Jane Elliott, she did over the course of a day, situate these kids in a point of difference so in the morning I think was it the blue-eyed kids who are on, I can't remember which way it went but in the morning there were one set of kids who were let's say on top and they were treated more favorably you know the others were given put downs and then they played that out for half a day including in the, the kids um, the playground and then she swapped it and then she debriefed and that, that is a long period of time to really sit in someone else's discomfort, your own discomfort, a whole day. So I don't know, would we do that today? Would she be able to get kids' attention for a whole day? That I don't know. But 
it's a very powerful study and it has lessons for us today that are far beyond attention. Let, let alone if she would be able to get the kids' attention, I don't think she'd be able to do the study. No. No, there, <laughs> right. there has been. Well, well, I was thinking of it from the perspective of consent because that was the criticisms of her study that right. the kids didn't. Right. What were you thinking about? Were you thinking she wouldn't be able to do it for consent reasons, ethical reasons, or what? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like mm -hmm. when I show that video clip during classes, the first mm -hmm. thing folks say that might have opposition to it is, you know, did she get the consent of the parents? Right. Which, which I understand, but you got to remember this was 1968 to 1972. You yeah. know, like like the Ford Edsel was the most popular car back, right? I mean, like like you know, like things change. This is 2023, so so of course, you know, like when I was going to school, we won't get into how long ago that was, but. But there was a time, I don't know how it was uh, in, in Australia, uh, but, you know, there was corporal punishment in schools. Like, you could get a oh, yeah. by the principal, by the teacher, by, by little, 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 uh, little uh, uh, old ladies with gray hair, you know, you know, in your neighborhood. <laughs> That's true. You know, hit you, tap you upside the head, and you're like, you know, I don't even know you. I know your mama, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so, you know, the times were different, different back then. You know. It was, it was, but it, and it, but it still has lessons for us, I think, about immersion and how how do you put yourself into someone's shoes, not just intellectually, but emotionally. And that's what happened here. And, and more importantly, it was for a spurious reason. It was distinguishing between people on eye colour. You could, you know, you could distinguish between people on left and right handedness. So spurious reasons that whereas we accept in inverted commas these points of difference which equally are not relevant to our capabilities you know if we think about gender or race or um disability or lgbtiq plus all of these things aren't about our capabilities and yet we distinguish people on you know because they have those identities so there's still resonance in what she did and immersive experiences are still helpful and we can still learn from her. And maybe that, maybe let's talk about, don't you think, what we could learn from her? I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective too. Yeah, so, you know, I, like, like, like even withstanding the criticisms, I love this video and I love mm. this exercise because of the, a lot of the things that you've already talked about, right? Like, the immersive experience. You know, I like the idea of how she highlighted differences and how a lot of our differences, as you just explained, if not socially constructed, are kind of made up out of whole cloth. In other words, when the before Jane made a distinction in eye colors with the kids, those kids could care less what the eye color of their friends were. Now they, mm -hmm. they acknowledge and recognize that you know, Billy had blue eyes and Susie had brown eyes. But the, the, the key aspect of this was there was no meaning uh, uh, opinion attached to it, attached yeah. to the eye color, right? Mm. It's, it's the leader. It's Jane who did that. It's, it's the mm. institutions of power within society who decides mm. that. And then from there, everything else just kind of, it's like, you know, knocking dominoes over. And so, um, I always find that really fascinating, especially as a an analogy or a metaphor with regard to our racial 
uh, uh, challenges that we face in, in America and, and, and globally. Like, like we know that race is not biological, it's uh, a social construction. And even folks that understand that intellectually, they still make decisions on where to buy a house, where to send their kids to school based on these social uh, constructed categories of, uh, of race that were that just created out of whole cloth. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point that you raise as well, that it was about her authority in the classroom that was able to switch things over really quickly. And the kids just went with it and friendships were divided. You know, kids that were friends when they walked into the classroom were suddenly not friends because they were, you know, separated in to these two groups, whether you had brown eyes or blue eyes. So, you know, and how quickly they bought into it. There was in some ways so little resistance to this arbitrary separation. And, and that's an insight for us too, how quick we are to want to go with the separation, um, particularly those people who are going to land on top. You yes. know, this is to their advantage. Um, so, yeah, there are, I think there are learnings to us for us too. I think it's hard for us to replicate what she did, though, in an adult world because mm. we don't accept the authority. We don't, we don't have someone like a teacher who's with us and has been with us for a long period of time whom we trust who could probably do that um, in the same way. But that doesn't mean that we can't take something from this and really start to question ourselves how much am I just absorbing from authority figures around me and I really haven't sat back and tried to form my own point of view as to the experience that others are having how much am I just a sort of a passive recipient of um of stereotypes yeah no I I uh I think that is just a fascinating explanation and when I think about the Jane Elliott exercise and, and all the aspects you can use to compare it uh, to what's going on in the real world, even with the situation with adults, like I just finished watching a fabulous uh, uh, documentary on World War II on Netflix. Just came out, and I'm not a, like a big World War II kind of, uh, uh, you know, like there's a lot of folks that just, you know, just love World War II and they, uh, the Battle of the Bulge and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just, I, I didn't, you know, I, it was just never a big deal to me until I watched uh, this this uh, documentary on Netflix and it's called uh, World War II uh, on, 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 the, on the Front Lines. And it was six episodes and just absolutely fabulous. And the first episode is called The Master Race. And it talks about how Hitler came up with this idea or the idea got embedded in his head that he was going to make Germans, you know, the master race. Now of all the other things to start a war about and to, you know, whether you're talking about having more land or whatever, World War II was really about Hitler embedding this idea in his head that there should be a master race and getting other people to believe it. And when I think about what happened in Jane's video with the kids who got along with each other fabulously until Jane made uh, a division based on meanings associated with eye color, I see the same thing in this video clip or, or this mm -hmm. documentary on Netflix that Hitler did uh, 
generally speaking, with, with uh, 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 not all the German people, but some of the German people, who as adults mm-hmm. went right down that same line. The same kind of thing could be said about the genocide that took place in Rwanda. For folks that have, if you haven't seen a movie called Hotel Rwanda with Don Cheeto, you should check it out. I don't know if you've seen it, Julia, but mm-hmm. but it that conflict was between Hutus and Tutsis. And so mm-hmm. even as I watched this not Netflix documentary, it was obvious that you know it's been um, it's been a feature, not a bug, of humankind to, as you start off with us talking about in this podcast, to create these artificial barriers that 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 create polarization that keeps us in a constant state of conflict. And it's amazing what you can get people to believe. And sometimes yeah. we only think it's kids, but adults can believe the same thing and do it as we know this horrific, uh, horrific. Yeah. And then I think it's interesting for someone who comes out of that experience, if I think about some people who have been very extreme in their views and then suddenly the scales start to fall and they start to question all of the things that they've been saying and thinking and wondering how they got down that rabbit hole. How did they go so far? But, you know, we need to feel empathetic towards that experience because it's so easy, it's enabled, you know, if you start getting the reinforcement of this message. And also that's your community, you know, and you don't want to lose the community of people. So how do you pull back from it to have a, a more balanced view? I think that's where you and I are aligned, that we see the extremes, the polarization in our society and we're looking for a way to bring it back to a more moderate point of view where we can see the commonalities between people with our shared humanity. And, of course, we're not you know, Pollyanna. We're not thinking that there won't be conflict anymore, but conflict around issues that are actually um, real points of, of tension, not these constructed ones out of, you know, artificial categories, in this case, blue eyes and brown eyes, but, you know, name name your poison in yeah. other ones, race, yeah. gender, LGBTI. You know, and, and, and it seems like to me the perpetual tension, no matter how you slice and dice it, is always comes down to the individual versus the group. You know, when I talk about the individual, I talk about it in terms of folks, uh, you know, uh, being able to be secure in their identity. Like, like the primary aspect of their identity is by the identity group that they associate with. And there's been a lot of criticism about that. I never really, you know, uh, uh, took that to heart or really thought to understand it, but I just finished a book called Identity Trap. And uh, Yas- Yasha Monk, I think, is, is, is his name. But, but basically, it was a critique kind of at the left when you talk about political ideology that, that, where he kind of argued that, you know, we get, when, when we collapse our identities, our multiple identities, like fathers, you know, sons, whatever, to just one aspect of our being, then that's where the trouble can start because now, if I'm only seen as black, white, uh, 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 lesbian, you know, disabled, when, when those are the main aspects of our identity, then it almost starts to turn into like the oppression Olympics, right? Like the Jewish identity becomes my foremost way that I interact with the world. 
and people can do whatever they want but his argument was can can it go too far like that to where there's no common values that brings us together which, which would be the other side right the other side would be it's all about a simulation like mm. we don't want to hear about your identity right just be you know right. you're american you're australian be part of the group you know right. and and i guess my argument is kind of what i learned from you when we came up with our definition of inclusion and you had talked about uh brewer's optimal distinctiveness theory which postulates that uh, uh human beings have two core needs the need to feel unique and the need to feel a sense of belonging well it's always those two things and 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 with ten, uh intention with each other and so there should be a, like this zone or this sweet spot that we can really work towards to get the best of both right and not succumb ourselves to well this is the only way you can be american or you can only uh my my whole being is wrapped up in my skin coat you know those kind of things. yeah that's that's a really good point and and that was um professor lynn shaw was you know key and kind of identifying that you know definition of an inclusion which is about i value you for your uniqueness as well as um, creating the space for you to belong to a group so we don't want assimilation but we don't and it was based on brewer's theory but she was the one who really put it together with inclusion i added some stuff into it later mm. um you know this we don't want ourselves to have a single identity. And the way you framed it made me think that when people reduce themselves to a single identity and don't acknowledge that intersection of all the ways that we are different, it create, creates fragility in their sense of self because then it, it puts more pressure on them to be part of that group if there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also, of course, this is it's not just about me adopting a single point of identity. It is about other people looking at me and only seeing a single point of identity. Great. Point. That is right. Super hard that, you know, if you if you look at me and, and you go, well, you are just and you've already put me into a box. And that's what makes it hard. We we're talking before about sign sound bites. We make these judgments about other people, which we know intellectually have to be wrong, that we can't have understood that person in the blink of an eye. And yet that's exactly what we do. And then we stay with it and it gets reinforced. And I think we're going back to echo chambers. We then don't have the opportunity to really interrogate that assumption that we've made about someone. Um, because we're not in shared places, you know, we're not, not in shared communities, we're not in shared conversations, you know, we're, we're listening to different stuff. More, It's more and more pushing us apart. So it, it is about the, the identity that I adopt. I really take your point on that. I think that's a really um, good insight that we need to live out our complex identities, our, our intersectional, who we are, um, the multiple facets of us, but also for us not to judge other people just on the basis of a single identity, our perception that this is your single identity to actually allow other people to share themselves. I think that's such a great point. I've always kind of looked at it like I explained it to you on how, you know, the, the, the person looks at themselves, right? But not necessarily how others look at it because they're doing the same thing to your point. Is putting it in that sound bite, that stereotype, mm -hmm. looking at just one dimension of their identity instead of mm -hmm. multiple identities that we all 
that we all have. And when you collapse around one, it kind of becomes fund fun, uh, uh, fundamentalist. And yeah. it, or, or, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you know, black or white. And, and, mm -hmm. and it, it, it weeds out all the complexity, all the ambiguity, and, 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 and all the, the uh, you know, fuzziness of, of what life is really about. And I think that's kind of a challenge, you know, that we face. Now, that being said, uh, we're going to uh, start to uh, wrap this up a little bit. You know, you had earlier talked about, okay, you know, let's kind of talk about what are some of the things that we could recommend to folks that, you know, based on James' uh, exercise that we can apply to organizational culture or, or whatever. Now, one of the central challenges, it seems like to me, and you kind of raised this issue a couple of times, is this whole idea, and there's a whole line of research around it, right, to include uh, all ports theory of contact, right? And that is that immersion, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and being able to connect with people who are different from you can make all the difference in the world. And we know that through sports teams, through uh, uh, sororities and frat fraternities and all that kind of stuff. But the question is, to me, is how do you scale it? Like, mm -hmm. like it's easy to do that in a classroom. Like if I say, hey, hey uh, uh, Juliet, you know, I hired you, fired Jane, and hired you to, you know, bring those kids back together. You know, uh, you know, without uh, the only caveat being you couldn't take off the collars of the the, the brown eyed kids. What would you do? Well, people come up with a you know a range of things that. Makes sense, you know, get them to get working on a, a, a project together, you know, uh, have them give them opportunities to, you know, uh, uh, make connections with each other, have an education program that says the college don't matter, you know, so there's a whole bunch of stuff. The question is in a segregated society, mm -hmm. in a siloed world, to your point, how do you create the environment for those shared opportunities? And we're mm -hmm. so segregated and we're so siloed. Yeah, it does put a lot of onus, given where we are in terms of polarization, for the individual to find their way back to a point of shared humanity. Because I don't know that it's coming through our institutions. I mean, that's not entirely true. I think one of the things that I do see as positive at the moment is these large-scale workplaces, if you think about Google and Amazon. I mean, they have now become the places at which people who are quite different come together so that they they are there just for their capability, their technical capability, but they come from all walks of life. And so if you're thinking about at scale, maybe it is putting more emphasis on how organisations can become places in which we start to have more complex conversations but deal with our conflict. You know, there are boundaries in those workplaces that we have to treat everyone respectfully well suddenly you can't have a shouting match at someone in the corridor about your political beliefs you have to have it within a certain behavioral construct so I think workplaces could become spaces in which we develop the muscle to engage with people in a more constructive way that then could then flow out into our private lives as well if we've been so separated like physically within our societies but also 
you know, in terms of media and social media, as we've talked about. So in the virtual world, we're separated, but we, we come together in the physical world in our workplaces and maybe we can learn from each other. And also in the workplace, the point that we share is around the tasks that we're doing together and we need each other. We, 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 we have to respect each other to complete the task. And really that is a microcosm of the world. We actually need each other to live this life. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll end up destroying the planet. There is a, a point by which humans need to come together, like we did during COVID when we all worked out, actually we had an existential threat. We were all going to die from COVID. So we better all come together and, and behave respectfully with each other in terms of the way we interact, the distance that we stand from each other, you know, whether we wear a mask or not, whether we're vaccinated. I know those are controversial topics, um, but still I think there was a, a recognition that we're all connected in some way. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, by and large, you know, I think, uh, uh, and I don't know how it was in Australia, but, you know, there was some controversy here in the States about the uh, vaccine and, 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 you know, whether or not, you know, you should get it and that type of thing. So, um, and, and, I, and I look at, like, uh, climate change, like, like, we know that there's this existential threat, but we still are challenged sometimes collectively to take action in a way to address this global problem. And sometimes this whole notion around structural racism is the same thing. It's just like world poverty, like, can we, can we take collective action together, you know, to actually once and for all kind of solve, you know, these, these problems that have plagued humankind, you know, almost since, yeah. since the beginning. It feels what you're making me think that it almost feels like we are children in a schoolyard and maybe this reduces our conflict with each other too much but it's it is like there are little tribes in the schoolyard and we're just doing try and the school is burning down right but we're still having these little points of conflict with each other which we've constructed i know that's a bit reductionist but still it's kind of like lift up look out you know if if the world's going to hell you know we have a shared point of energy between us and let, let's work on that. Juliet, as uh, one of the final things I wanted to kind of run by you uh, before I let you go, and that is, you know, we have our challenges here in America around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. As a matter of fact, it's starting to be well documented that there's a significant black backlash that's starting to take place here. And, Companies are starting to reduce their DEI staffs and universities are starting to close their offices. What's going on in Australia? Are, are you all facing any of those challenges or is it still pretty much like it's been? I mean, it is a different context. We have our own challenges in Australia. We just went through a referendum in relation to um, a constitutional change to allow our First Nations people to have a stronger voice within parliament and it wasn't successful. On the other hand, we had marriage equality that came up a few years ago and that was successful. So it's hard to sort of pull it down to actually, there's a regressive moment going on when we, we have two points which are contradictory to each other. Um, I don't think we're facing it in the same way that it is being experienced in the US. I think that the polarization and then the flow on effects from that are much more tangible. 
So I think there is still um, license to move forward in Australia, not to say that there isn't backlash here, there is backlash, but not with the strength that I think you're experiencing. And we have a different, um, you know, we have a, a sort of different experience, a different legacy, a different historical experience around discrimination as well. So I don't know if those things are playing into it. But anyway, right now, your experiences have not been directly translated into the experiences of Australia. There's still an expectation that um, we will be progressing forward with a diversity agenda so that we can create a more inclusive society. And that is certainly at the forefront of the current federal government that we have in Australia, a lot of movement around gender, for example. It was their initiative around the referendum vote. We have a lot there that's supporting disability. So, yeah, more initiatives that are progressive than um, winding them back. Let me ask you this as, uh, as, as we uh, bring this to uh, a close. You know, as you think about uh, James... Uh, you know, uh, classic uh, exercise, uh, a class divided, and and how it is kind of a microcosm of organizational culture as well as society. Uh, if there were three things or three lessons that you think that we could take away and maybe apply within an organization based on what you observed in that video, uh, what would those three things be? Oh, oops, okay. And um, let, me, let me go to leaders, that leaders need to be very sensitive and very attuned to the signals that they're sending, who they have favourite, who are favourites and who are not favourites, because that is going to make a huge difference. You know, whether you're CEO or you're the next line down, people pay attention to who your favourites are and they that will influence who they associate with. I think that's um, uh, one lesson. I think a second lesson that I take from it is that it's on me to make sure that I resist messages that um, are moving me towards conflict and polarization. Even though the, the group is going to um, move in alignment with the leader, which is what happened with Jane Elliott, there were some kids in that group who tried to resist. And it's interesting as an adult watching it now, you actually want to applaud them. You're like, actually, child, you got it right. You know, you are you are history here in getting it right. And I want to be the person in history who gets it right and doesn't succumb to these terrible messages and then behaviours that cause me to treat someone in a way that is less than me. And, you know, I, I don't... I, I don't want to um, buy into it. And I also want to, if I have any privilege at all, I want to use that privilege for good, not privilege to just reinforce my own privilege, my own, my own positive status. I think it's on me and everyone has some privilege, you know, that they that I use my privilege to help other people. Maybe they're just too two messages there, two ideas. No, no, love it. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for those word, words of wisdom. And again, a big thanks for, you know, kicking off my uh, podcast. I didn't uh, know uh, uh, who could be a better uh, first guest than my good friend, 
in in uh, uh, in Patriot there, uh, Juliet. So I really, you know, appreciate uh, how you've uh, helped me uh, become smarter on this stuff and taking some time out of your busy day to to kind of you know uh, have a few conversations. No, you're you're brilliant, um, Bruce, and I and I really appreciate and applaud what you're doing here. You know, the this voice will be helpful to other people, and I'm, I'm glad to help you share it. Well, thank you so much. And I want to tell you all, uh, again, you know, we'll be putting out a, a podcast a couple of times a month uh, getting started. Uh, this is just our first one, but we look forward to you all tuning in every time we put one out, and, and you can uh, uh, listen in on some great conversations I'll have with some interesting people. Again, thanks for showing up and listening. And I uh, want to give a, 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 another shout out to uh, 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 Juliet for taking her time. And we we'll look forward to seeing you all next time.